Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined today by NFL Nation Buffalo Bills reporter Marcel Louis-Jacques. Did I get that right there? Yeah, you nailed it, man. I was holding my breath for a second. I was like, oh, man, we didn't go over pronunciation. What's this going to be like? It's but, not. It's not like uh, I've heard culture. it like 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 Jacques on the end. Do you ever throw that on the end there to get a little freaky or not? No. <laughs> you know, every now and then when I go to a new market, because I mean I've moved like five times in my career, I've always thought like, man, can I? Is this the one? Like, am I gonna pull <laughs> off my French, my Haitian accent? Am I gonna try something new here? And I just wuss out every time. So maybe maybe next move if there is the next move, then I'm going heavy on the French. Okay, well, I, th- I think it, it works well. I mean, it sets you out there. I, I, I do kind of suspect whether or not it was it's it's actually Marcel Jones, and then you just changed it up as part of this <laughs> part of this career path. Where it was probably a detriment earlier in life, but now it's coming into play now as as you're as you're setting your 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 brand out there in the internet, which we all have to do. Exactly, exactly. That would be hilarious, man. Just like no, 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 no. Look at my parents. Like, no, nah, this isn't gonna work. This. Nah. Yeah. Not the family name. I need. I need to add a little. I need to sprinkle some some salt and pepper on there. A little little allspice on yeah. the last name. Yeah, you have to. You have to do that sometimes. Well, I appreciate you joining me. I know this is you know a bit of a numbers based podcast, but I want to have you on there. I've been following you. Um, I like your takes. You're obviously very adept at using the numbers in your analysis, but also you you got your ear to the streets there in Buffalo. You know what's going on with the team. And it's one of the more interesting franchises, in my opinion, not only for the fact that in contention, not only for the fact that Josh Allen has taken this step, but I, I'm interested in the coaching situation where I think potential coach of the year-ish McDermott, maybe it's, maybe it's faded a little bit there, and then also front office, I think what Brandon Bean has done there. So I want to talk about all those different elements. Now, uh, like I said, I've been following you since we, we, we met briefly at the Combine with uh, mutual friend Charles McDonald, now Twitter famous uh, Charles, Charles McDonald. I didn't think he could top the uh, five cheese Andy Reid, uh, <laughs> back and cheese recipe, but he's taking it to the next level here. So I hope I hope he's still returning your phone calls. Oh, of course, man. I don't think Charles will ever be ever be ever be too big time to forget <laughs> about the homies, man. But no, I'm proud of Charles. Proud of him for sticking out that situation, man. It it, it was brutal, and uh, you know I'm just glad that he's he's getting a shine. He got that off his chest, and he he let the world know what he's been dealing with behind the scenes, but that's a talented man right there, bro. That is. Uh, yeah, no, no, I love, uh, I mean, I love him. I love his work. Um, yeah, I was kind of, I think I had a poor read on the situation. Cause when I first saw it, I was like, I don't know about that. But then as it started to come in, I was like, Oh, I realized there's a lot of stuff <laughs> in the background here. So it wasn't like it was really lashing out. It was like everyone else. It was like when you're just kind of like lighting that little embers on the fire. And then everyone else is like, boom, let, let, let's get it. Let's get in on this. So, yeah. Exactly. Uh, I mean, it was one of those, like, people just didn't know. And like, I, I, I feel like, I don't think he went into this saying, you know, I want to just drop the nuke, but uh, you know, you can only be pushed so far is, is what I can add to it. You can only be pushed so far. And I, I think he got pushed a little too far. Yeah. Well, hopefully your situation in Buffalo is a little bit, it's a little bit, it's a little <laughs> bit better than that. But so, so let's talk. So you've been there. Uh, we we're talking a little bit earlier. You've been there a little bit over a year. I want to first start by kind of taking a lay of the land uh, for for the Bills. So everyone knows Josh Allen. He's made this leap. He's playing uh, on a statistical basis and close to on a grading basis for us in that top five, six, seven-ish sort of quarterback. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think from following you in the offseason, you know, us numbers guys, uh, certain draft community guys were – 
would have suspected that anything could have happened. Like, the Josh Allen may be the strangest thing that happened in 2020 for some of us, if you can believe that, for everything that's happened in 2020 because of the opinions going in. I think you were kind of cautiously optimistic going into the season, maybe I would say. it. So, uh, so was, there, was there something that you were seeing that was maybe being missed by being there? Because, obviously, if, if you're a little bit negative on Josh Allen, we know about Bill's, uh, the Bills Mafia on Twitter. So we, 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 know, we know how they feel. I, I felt you to be kind of like a rational voice in all of that. So what, was there something that we were missing that you were seeing on a day-to-day basis there last season? Yeah, you know, when this when this comes out, I feel like there's going to be a few replies about me working with the enemy here. Uh, <laughs> I don't think PFF is is very much liked in, in Buffalo. Well, I'm glad but, you don't yeah, have I mean, the Buffalo I, versus PFF shirt on while we're talking here, so that's good. Absolutely not. You know, I'm wrapping my man Baldy James here, <laughs> but uh, Versace tapes here. But uh, no, I think the, the difference is I just, I saw him play. And uh, yeah. that's nothing against anybody that works for PFF or anybody who, who looks at the numbers and determined that, you know, he was going to be a, an average to below average quarterback. It's it just he passed the eye test. And uh, when, when you when you watch his games, he can bang his head against the wall for three quarters. In 2019, he could bang his head against the wall for three quarters. And then in the fourth quarter, it just it all made sense. It all made sense. He started hitting windows. He started making those reads quickly. He would nail his deep passes and he would do whatever it took to go win the ball game. That's why he's got more game-winning drives and more fourth-quarter comebacks than anybody in the league, except for, I believe it's Deshaun Watson and or Russell Wilson. That, that's elite company when yeah. it comes to, to coming in the clutch. And so you, you had to think, okay, I've seen these fourth quarters enough times. I've seen that enough to, to think and believe he can someday put that together over the course of a full game. And I, I, that was the caveat, was if he plays like fourth-quarter Josh over a full game, then he's going to be a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And that's what we've seen him do time and time again in 2020 is he's been fourth quarter, Josh. You know, we, when we see him in the, against the Seahawks, you saw him against the Rams, save a couple of uh, kind of classic plays, classic head scratching plays <laughs> right. uh, against Miami there in, in week two. I mean, he, he has it. He, he has it. And, and this has been undoubtedly the best football I think he's ever played at any stage of his career. But that was really what was driving my opinion was I, I had seen him at his best and, and knew that, OK, beyond the Twitter videos, beyond the, the, the clips and, and the reels and vines, whatever the kids are using nowadays, that this was a burgeoning good quarterback. It's just he took a lot of flack from the perceived boneheaded plays that kind of plagued him over the first two years. Yeah, I mean, there was a little bit of a first half, second half phenomenon with Allen last year. If you split up what he did at the end of the year, he looked a lot better statistically, but he's kind of taken it to the next level this year. I mean, if we look at, I mean, the, the biggest thing probably was accuracy that we're going, that he had never, I don't think he'd ever thrown for 60% completion percentage, as, as rough of a measure as that is, right? That's not like a perfect measure of anything. Even in, in college, uh, I, don't, I don't have his, his rival's information for, for high school for what, for what he was doing there, but, uh, but now he's up to close to 70%. He's he was really good last year at not throwing interceptions. He was pretty good. He like he didn't turn the ball over a lot, at least throwing the ball. And they were throwing a decent amount. So he he had that going going for him. But this year, his interceptions, you know, it's it's, it's about the same, but it's just those high end type of plays that he's doing as often. But what I saw in, in certain games, now there have been some games, like I think people point to the Tennessee game maybe being the beginning of showing a little bit of of issues. Even last week, 
when you get a victory against a tough Chargers team, but it, that that felt like a 2019 type of type of game a little bit more with the Bills. So so what's the formula for them going forward? Because that defense was rough, and Allen was really putting the team on on his back. Not only because he's rushing the ball, he's throwing the ball. The defense wasn't playing well last game. You know the defense helped him out a bit, and he made some mistakes, and he wasn't at that top top level. But they were still able to to win the game with the defense. Is that going to be the formula going forward? What, what are you thinking about that? Yeah, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't perfect, I guess, against the Chargers. Obviously, fumbled right. that snap through that just really Ill, bad decision interception as well in the fourth quarter. Um, but that's one of those it's one of those games where you can't let the numbers, I, I guess, be the story because the Bills entered that game. I mean, hell bent on running the football to the point where you know they they ran for 174 yards. It's the second highest total of the season, and some want to say. Well, they established the run. The run game is back. Yeah, but they forced the issue. Like, they they forced the issue. The, I think the game plan, the smart game plan, would have been to put the ball in Josh Allen's hands and let him throw. But they never really let him get into a rhythm against the Chargers. I think he probably would have had a bigger day if they had stuck to that pass-happy game plan. But either way, what the Bills have done over the past two seasons, you know, and when he entered the league, Josh Allen was seen as this, you know, big, big-armed, 80 yard bomb hail Mary type quarterback. And uh, that's just not efficient. That's not efficient football. That that's like in basketball, that's like saying we're going to pull up from half court every, every possession. So what the bills did quietly was they assembled some pass catchers who excel at separating in the intermediate part of the field. Guy like Cole Beasley, guy like Stefan Diggs this year, a guy like John Brown, who's been kind of miscast as a vertical threat just because I, I think it worked for him early on in Arizona and people said, all right, well, if it works, we're not going to we're not going to fix it. But he, he runs every route in the tree and he runs them well. So they prioritized separation and, and they made Josh Allen one of the better intermediate passers in the NFL. And they said, OK, we're we're not going to necessarily stretch the field all the time. We want you to hit these these crossing routes, these out routes, these slants. We want you to, to stay in this in this pocket. And that's really where Josh Allen thrives. And then when defenses creep up. That's when he can take the top off to guys like Diggs, to guys like Gabriel Davis and and guy like Brown. So I, that's that's really where that's where the Bills operate. I think that's where they're at their best is, is when they get the ball into the hands of these shifty, quick guys and let them pick up yards after the catch. Yeah, I mean, there was this obviously Allen has struggled a lot as far as throwing deep the last couple of seasons. He was really hot to start the season. Um, I think he's still been pretty good recently. There was a little bit of a cool off. I mean, certain t- certain things like the 55-yard DPI to Diggs, that doesn't really get counted in some statistics versus some other statistics. So I think that element is definitely there. What I thought was interesting, now you said they were really hell-bent on running the ball, but what I've seen from McDermott uh, offensively, and I, I actually I don't know if it's McDermott, you know, obviously this Fra- Leslie Frazier's former head coach, you know, very uh, well-reputed guy on, on that side of the ball. You know, like against Kansas City, I remember they said, you know, we're, they kind of admitted they were just going to let them run the ball and, and see what happens. Against last week, they ran the ball a lot. Um, but against the Seahawks, the Seahawks were a little bit surprised by the fact that they didn't really try to run the ball at all in that game. So how much is it hell-bent on running the ball? How much is are they willing to just adjust to their opponent, maybe a little bit more than some others who have a quote-unquote identity for what they're trying to do? Um, or do you see this running game sticking going forward? I think they, they want to be the type of offense that just adapts to to their matchup. That's what we keep yeah. hearing from them. And and that's what, I mean, that's what we saw against the, the Patriots were a weaker run defense. They were able to establish the run there. The Seahawks are a historically bad 
passing defense. Yeah. So they said, all right, well, Josh, go sling it. Uh, the Chargers were are kind of middle of the road in both categories. I, I think they're slightly better passing defense than, than, than run defense, but not by much and not enough so that it, it made sense for them to, to attack on the ground, in, in my opinion. Uh, but it, it sounded like going into the bye week, they, they admitted, Bills admitted that they're going to do a deep dive on getting this run game jump started. And this, it just felt like, okay, we want to, we 12 felt like, all right, we want to show that we've got this figured out. We are going to get this ground game going no matter what. And I, I didn't really feel like that was necessary, but they won the game. So it's, it's difficult to, to really critique them there, but make no mistake, like Zach Moss and Devin Singletary, they're both, they're good runners right now. This is not a run first team anymore. This is not the 2019 or 2018 bills anymore. Their strength lies in Josh Allen's right arm. And when they have that full complement of receivers, it's a very, very difficult offense to, to stop, especially if you are committed to playing man coverage. These are receivers that will eat you alive, specifically Stephon Diggs, will eat you alive in man-to-man situations. And so as even as the weather turns down here, I mean, it's, it's snowing today, even, even if the, as the weather turns in Buffalo, I would expect them to stick to that, to that script because that gives them the best chance to win. Yeah, yeah, and, and then if you if you have man coverage, then you have Josh Allen who can who can scramble out on that too, unless you have a spy. So yeah, they have a lot of that's the big formula there. Now, okay, so I, we mentioned before that so Bean has been there now. I think he took over in 2017, but it was post draft, so he didn't draft some of the guys who have been have big guys on there. Like I don't, he didn't draft Javius White, I don't think, um, or some of the other pieces like uh, like Dawkins, the the tackle. I don't think he drafted him either, but he brought in. He, he kind of built up the offensive line. They brought in Beasley and John Brown, and now they've added Stephon Diggs, who is having this out of the world t- type of season. Who I, I mean, I didn't even. I mean, you thought he, everyone knew he was good, but I don't know if there's anyone other. Well, I mean, Stephon Diggs knew this, right? But I don't, I don't know how many other. He he, he knows it a lot. Um, if there's anybody else who really saw him take it to the next level, so how much can you? I mean, it's difficult to like disaggregate all these different parts and think about how this guy matters versus this guy versus this guy. But how much does Diggs specifically matter as opposed to being part of this trio or or even even you know Gabriel Davis is starting to to look a little interesting there. Uh, Dawson Knox can do some can can do a little things like how much of it is it really just having this the, the this this panoply of options versus Diggs taking him to the next level this year? Uh, don't get me wrong. The the depth that receiver is important and, and the versatility of each guy is, is very important. But if John Brown misses time, which he obviously is currently, this passing game can still operate. If Stephon Diggs misses time, I think that this passing game falters, like tables off a lot. This gives them he's a true alpha. And I've been a big believer in John Brown since last year. I think, I, you know, I I think he can operate as a team's leading receiver. But that's just not really that's not really his his game. He he can separate well. He's good after the catch, don't get me wrong, but it's that contested catch area that's not really his his forte. And even though Stefan Diggs is not much bigger than John Brown, those contested catches is something that Diggs excels at. And he's excellent like I said after the catch. He separates. He's a guy you can funnel 10, 11, 12 targets to in a pinch and he can come up with 80ish percent of them. So he is a critical component of, of this passing game. And, you know, a lot of people said that Buffalo overpaid for him. And I was just never, I was never on board with that. And like, I, I think a lot of that reaction was fueled by the fact that the Texans gave away Deandre Hopkins for a used bag of socks, but 
that what you paid for Stephon Diggs, like that is the price of a number one receiver. They saw him as a number one receiver. That is what you pay for him. And I think that I don't think anybody in town or anybody in that organization is regretting that move now. But no, Diggs, he's probably the most irreplaceable receiver in this offense, followed by Cole Beasley. Yeah, I mean that was a that was a strange series of events because you have the trade and then Minnesota get kind of I mean I won't say lucks into Justin Jefferson, but let's remember Jalen Rager went immediately before Justin Jefferson, so they were at the mercy of whoever the the Eagles were, were going to take there, and he's kind of looking like a stud there too. Yeah, I think the, it's interesting this Diggs type of receiver versus someone like DeAndre Hopkins because. Hopkins has the the stat line, right? He was getting so many targets. He's getting so many receptions. Not necessarily stretching the field or being the, the guy who adds that extra element to, to the game. So where do you think Diggs is amongst amongst these top guys? Is And then the Bills are throwing the ball a lot, so he's, he's, uh, he's up there with them. I mean, do you consider him to be like really this type of prototype elite elite guy near the top or is it a situation where he has other elements to the game and kind of affects the defense in a way that that maybe doesn't show up in the stat line the same way yeah it it depends really on how many receivers you're trying to put in your elite tier is he uh Tyreek Hill uh DeAndre Hopkins or uh you know Michael Thomas when Taysom Hill is not the quarterback maybe maybe not but is he a top eight guy I I think that uh I think the lowest I would even reasonably listen to for Stefan Diggs is number eight in the league. Like, I think he's top 10 without a doubt. And, uh, you know, was a little overshadowed, not overshadowed, but uh, underutilized given the presence of Adam Thielen and, and rightfully so like he, Diggs is great, but Adam Thielen is, is damn good as well. You can't just ignore, ignore having him on the other side of the field, but uh, he is just, I mean, watching him in, in training camp, just even just running against air, it, it was it was different. I haven't seen a you know a superb amount of of receivers in my NFL journalism career, but he was far and away the best route runner. Just because it looked effortless, it looked effortless, and, and the way he catches the ball, it, it's like he wasn't even trying. It just kind of found his hands and locked in, and you just knew just some of the things that you know the the way that Josh Allen was placing the ball to him. Once again, even against air, you knew that this relationship was going to work out better than better than expected. So I, I think the stats, you know, good for him. Somehow hasn't made a Pro Bowl. I'd imagine that probably changes this year. But uh, the stats are finally catching up to to the talent. I mean, he does have back to back thousand yard seasons. And and what really is impressive, I think, is is the way that he he's done them. He did it in I believe it was in 2018 via long field stretching receptions. And then he did it in 2019 based on being that kind of intermediate guy that he is right now. Uh, I might have the years reversed, but you know what I'm trying to say? He, he did yeah, it in yeah. two different ways. So I think that that proves a little bit of his versatility. Yeah. I mean, he's, it's, it's one of those weird situations where sometimes t- even draft status can stick with you a little bit, a little bit too long. I mean, he was a fifth round pick coming out, which is surprising. He had some injury, uh, history when he was at Maryland, um, but yet he's been he was pretty good. I mean, immediately playing uh, playing his, his his first season with uh, midway through with the Vikings, and then they had that type of offense which held him back a little bit. So yeah, I could see how 
some of that stuff still affects into the into the narrative on how good a particular receiver may be if they don't have that first round pedigree. Um, some people had pointed to John Brown because when he had when he had the I guess it was calf issue earlier when he was missing time that that there was some difficulty there. Um, I don't know if we saw a lot of this the last week, but what do you think about the fact that Brown? I guess I mean you never know with this IR now whether it's whether it means they're out for a few weeks or they're out for uh, six seven weeks something like that. How much of a difference does he make in the passing game? Adding uh, in addition to Beasley and and Diggs. I mean, it's a big deal that he's he's not there. I know I said that Diggs and Beasley are probably the most irreplaceable receivers, but that that's not a discredit to to John Brown because he is a guy who, if defenses shade coverage over to Stephon Diggs, he is capable of eating them up. He he is capable for a seven, eight catch, 80, 90 yard performance. And they love him in the screen game as well. Uh, you saw him burn Seattle with it. I probably should have scored on that play, but when teams start to bring pressure, he's a guy – We'll just give it to you at the line of scrimmage and let you take off. You run a 4-3, a 4-4, go do that up the field. They don't really have that right now. Um, they don't run a whole bunch of, of screen passes to Stephon Diggs. They might with Beasley, but Beasley is more of a guy, a chain mover when they can't get the run game going, especially against zone coverage. He's a guy who can find the holes and pick up six, seven yards at a pop. But it, it really depends on how much Gabriel Davis has has developed over the course of the season. They trust him a lot, and they've trusted him since day one. They put him at every single position, but he is still just a rookie. We heard from him after this last game and when he said that he thinks that you know he was kind of forcing the issue. He was pressing a bit early in the season, just like any rookie would. But now we're in week 13. He says that the game is slowing down a lot for him, and that's something that I think if you're a Bills coach or Bills fan, that's something that you really want to hear, and that might ease the blow of, of John Brown's absence. And and this has got a long-term impact as well because John Brown still has another year left on his contract. But if Gabriel Davis shows out and he puts up good numbers without Brown here, they can save, I think it's seven or $8 million by letting him go this coming off season. Not saying that's what they're going to do, but with the salary cap expecting to take a drastic decline, it, it, it's on the board. If, if Davis, you know, if Davis proves he's ready for that kind of role. Yeah, yeah, and Josh Allen is uh, is hitting his window for the fact that he can be extended next season. So it, it, that that's not going to come cheap. And um, they got Brown on a decent deal though because of the fact that he had uh, some injury concerns in, in in the past, and he had I guess was he was, I think, did he have a sickle cell issue? Was that him or is that someone else? I can't. Remember. Yeah, he did. So yeah, so yeah. I know he, he had that before. So. Um, so, yeah, it might be a little more difficult to extend him than it was before. All right, I, I want to talk coaching because this is the one part that's a big mystery to those of us who, you know, only like to watch the dots and not the, not the football game and aren't there on the, on the ground to see this. So McDermott is a guy where he, he came in, um, he kind of turned that, I mean, the, turned that team into a playoff team despite the fact that they didn't have the high-level uh, – uh, you know, elite quarterback play. They had competent quarterback play, but they didn't have the high-level quarterback play there. He, like I said, he's, there's some buzz around Coach of the Year, although I think he's, he's fallen off a bit as as their record has fallen off a bit there. I mean, what can you say about him as a coach, or what can you see about him as a coach? Because I know he has the defense of background, but then, like I said, they also have uh, Leslie Frazier there, who's who's very strong in that area. So how, how do you see his influence on the team? Because it's always very difficult for us to figure out what a coach is really doing other than pointing at a team's record and saying, well, this should be an eight and eight team. And they're in a, you know, they're an 11 and five team. So therefore the coach is good. I think uh, the smartest thing he probably did was surround himself as a first year coach 
was surrounding himself with people who have been in the NFL for a long time as well. And he's no, obviously he's no stranger to the league. He's been around since I think 2000, 1999 under Andy Reid in Philadelphia, but immediately brings on a former head coach and Leslie Frazier meeting the next year brings on Brian Dable, a guy who's worked with Nick Saban and Bill Belichick been around the league for 20 plus years. So he surrounded himself with guys who, who knew what they were doing and who had been there before to the point where he didn't have to try to micromanage and put too much pressure on himself. Uh, but beyond the X's and O's, I think that he really embodies the he embodies the vibe that Buffalo is going for and the culture that Buffalo is, is going for of, uh, you know, cast off, hardworking. I don't want to say blue collar because Paul Lucas is going to find it and yell at me on Twitter. But you know what I'm right. trying to say here? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but he he's a guy he and he can inspire the best. He brings the best out of the players he brings in, because if you look at Buffalo's roster and some of the more important players on it, like. Jordan Poyer, like Micah Hyde, I mean, Cole Beasley, John Brown, John Feliciano, you kind of go up and down the board, the guys who weren't, you know, first round picks. These are guys who were either cast off or who were, you know, pushed down, pushed aside in the draft, who were undervalued, underappreciated. And he said, look, we're all like that here. This is the island of misfit toys, but like, let's go, to, let's go ball out. Let's go prove them wrong. And I think that's really been powering the Bills over the past two or three seasons. So it, that's, that's something he's a great, he is a great motivator. So obviously he is a good coach. Um, you, you know, he, he gets the most, he and his staff get the most out of, you know, a, a collection of players that on paper, if you've never seen them play and you'd only heard the name, you, you probably aren't taking a second look at. But on the field, it's the sum, it's a, you know, greater than the sum of their parts, if you will. Yeah, and then uh, specifically looking at Dable and the offense, I mean, I think, he had a decent amount of hype last season. I think he may have interviewed with the Browns for a coaching job, but he's one of these guys. He's, he's been around for, for a while, right, too. And I would say he and Greg Roman were two guys that people were talking about with some buzz last year, but they didn't really fit into the the, the head coach uh, archetype as far as the, you kind of have these like uh, very young guys who are, who are ascending type of thing. He's, he's maintained it this season, I would say. Obviously, Roman, there's some, there's some issues there and um, what's going on there. He's kind of maintained it this year. Do you think he is, is a strong head coaching candidate? Because, again, th- there's a difference between being a great head coach and being a great schematic offense coordinator. I know people kind of put those two things together a little bit too often. Um, there's a lot that goes into the management and those sorts of things. So what do you see from him uh, as far as the temperament and the, and the ability for potentially being head coach in the future? Yeah, I, I, I didn't necessarily, I love me, I love me some Dave's man. That, that's, uh, <laughs> he's one of my favorite coaches I've ever worked with. I didn't just based on how Buffalo's offense looked last year. I mean, it was an improvement from 2018, but I didn't necessarily think he was more of a head coaching candidate than Leslie Frazier, somebody who had right. coached a top three unit in consecutive seasons. And the fact that Frazier isn't getting interviews was something. Uh, well, everyone's you know, obsessed actually, with I offense, spoke. right? Everyone thinks yeah, everyone thinks I, you bring this guy in and then your offense is fixed or so, somehow. That's that sort of situation. The Sean yeah. McVay effect, man. That's, yeah, uh, yeah, it's still yeah. it's still rampant. It's but that's something I spoke with Leslie about, and you know, didn't make much sense to either of us, but. You're, you're absolutely right. Brian Dable has he has not just maintained his head coaching candidacy, he's elevated it in 2020. And you got to remember, you know, he, his previous stops and you look at the, what he's done with the, the Browns and the Chiefs and the Dolphins and nothing really 
stands out on paper except for somehow turning Peyton Hillis into a Madden cover athlete. But when you look at the Bills roster right now, this is the best collection of talent he's ever had, and it's not close. I mean, he 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 goes from your best weapons on offense are Reggie Bush and uh, I think it's Mike Thomas, the running back from Ohio State or from Kansas yeah. State. You know, you know yeah. when it goes from those being your best weapons to Josh right. Allen and Stephon Diggs and, and John Brown, and he's he's flexing it right now. He, he's shown an ability to extract the most out of his players. He's shown a willingness to to get creative. You know, you see all the motion, the trick plays. He's not afraid to let a wide receiver throw a pass to an offensive lineman or, or throw a fade to his quarterback. I, I think that that kind of creativity is going to be attractive this offseason when teams start looking for coaches. It's just a matter of, you know, does he, does he want to leave? Um, as far as his temperament, though, I think he'd be a great head coach. Teams, players, love Brian Dable. Love Brian Dable. He connects with his players well. FaceTimes with them all the time. I think that's his preferred method of communication, actually. If he's not in person, he'll FaceTime you instead of calling or texting. Uh, they enjoy that. With the media, he is exactly what you would think somebody who worked with Bill Belichick and Nick Saban would sound like. So he's got that crossed off already. I think he'd be, I think he'd be a good head, head coach. I think he'd be a good head coach. It's just a matter of does he want to be. I think it's kind of like it's kind of a weird phenomenon here where we we attach goals to coaches like we we as media as the football world say like he's going to be a great head coach one day we don't know if they even want to be a head coach like you don't have to be a head coach in order to be a successful coach in 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 this industry in this game so it's just a matter of does he want to leave but i think the opportunities are going to be there for him yeah i mean well he like i said i think he did interview with the with the browns so it's at least he's at least put himself out there um, a little bit here now. Okay, so the relationship with coaching and front office, I think, is interesting. I don't know if you read this um, uh, Tyler Dunn article about the Bills, specifically um, the Patrick Mahomes thing. Like that, that that yeah. um, amazing. Story. The, the owner, the owner's name escapes me right now. What's the, what's the owner's name? Terry Terry Pagula. Yeah. So so he. Um, you never know with these things. Like it's like how every every team, all uh, thirty one teams wanted to draft Russell Wilson, but they didn't for some reason. So you never know. Like after the fact, but they specifically had the pick, right? So they had the pick that they traded out. Um, it, according to the article, it was like McDermott was not was. I don't, he was not quoted in there, but he he was kind of say to someone who who may not have wanted to make the pick. Ownership did. It sounded like McDermott had had a lot of pull. How much pull do you think he still has on that on that side of things? Because when they brought because he's there first, it, it seems like a lot of teams are going to this coach um, coach is almost king model over over everything there. So um, how, how do you see that working relationship between the two of them? Yeah, in 2017, it was Sean McDermott pulling strings. Like let's okay. it's the the worst kept secret in Buffalo that, uh, yeah. you know, the, the joke is that uh, Whaley had a, uh, you know, had like a toy phone during the draft, but it was Sean McDermott <laughs> yeah. making the calls. No, no offense to these guys, obviously, but yeah, uh, yeah. from my understanding and from what I am told, there is a definitive, you know, I don't want to say split, but uh, you know, difference in responsibilities when it comes to roster assembly and roster coaching Sean McDermott and his staff, handle the coaching, Brandon Bean in the front office, handle the roster decisions. I think that, you know, obviously he's not going to make decisions without at least talking to Sean McDermott, but it is Brandon Bean's call on, on any, any trade, any signing, any release, any draft. That's, that's all him. And uh, 
so I, but I do think they have a good working relationship because obviously, I mean, look what they've, look what they've been able to do in a short amount of time. And we're talking about a complete roster overhaul from, I, I think the only players from before 2017 are the long snapper, Reed Ferguson and Jerry Hughes. Everybody else has been completely shuffled out and made in to the McBean as they call it image. But um, it is, it is Brandon Bean. He does deserve the credit for, for the assembly of the roster for putting these players in place and McDermott gets the credit for, for coaching it into coaching it into one winner. Okay. So let's, I want to hit some, some big topic questions here. And I think this is probably what everyone is wondering about the bills right now. Um, I mean, again, again, lay it, lay of the land here, eight and three look like they're in the driver's seat to win the division. Um, if they went out the next few games, I think the the Dolphins are a game back, but the Dolphins have a worse divisional record, so they 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 have a tiebreaker there too. Even if they lose to the Dolphins later this year, they they kind of really have that inside track to win the division. And you're not going to have a bye, and a difficult AFC with uh, the Chiefs and the Steelers there reigning on top. So, in your opinion, are the Bills a contender? Not necessarily to win the Super Bowl, are they a contender to make it through the AFC this year? I think so. I think so. Um, that that game against the Titans, that Tuesday night football, notwithstanding, uh, I think they are at the very least competitive with the best teams in the AFC. When the Steelers come to town next week, I think it's going to be a real benchmark for them. It's going to really say a lot about you know their their ceiling, the Bills' ceiling. But they were in the game against Kansas City, and they played a pretty poor game. Uh, we you mentioned it earlier that that Titans game was kind of the beginning of Josh Allen's you know return to earth. I don't think he played that poorly against the Titans. He played poorly against the Chiefs, though. Like that was his worst game of the season, and they still only lost by I think it was it was nine. They were they had a chance to tie it up there at the end of the game. Um, but I, I like the coaching staff. I, I think that it's a good enough staff that you know, they can, they can scheme around any opponent and, and they can, they really excel, particularly McDermott and Frazier at taking away what opponents do best. And they're, they've been limiting these elite quarterbacks over the past few weeks, Russell Wilson, Kyler Murray, Justin Herbert, look at the numbers themselves. And you think, wow, these guys did, you know, they had their normal output. You watch the film, these guys struggled for a majority of the game. And uh, I think that's, that's worth noting considering they're all top five offenses. But uh, but we'll see if they play to their ceiling, if they play Bill, best Bills football. So first half of the Rams game, uh, three quarters of the Seahawks game, that level of Buffalo Bills football is tough, if not impossible to beat. I think they're right up there with anybody in the league. The difference is the, the problem is, I guess, they haven't been that consistently good. They haven't had that output consistently over the course of a full game yet. So if they can put that together come playoff time, then, yeah, they're a threat to go all the way. They're a threat to win it all. I mean, they, they've already beat what might be the best team in the in the NFC in, in Seattle, even if Chris Carson wasn't playing. I think they match up well enough with, with Green Bay as well or, or New Orleans. Um, not willing to put Tampa Bay up there. They get pounded on national TV too much, but – we uh but um but i think that i think that buffalo's got a shot it's just a matter of can they be that consistent team over the course of four quarters and we just we haven't seen that up to up to up to now yeah i mean the afc is just rough i mean we think about how difficult it's going to be to get out of there i I mean i remember beginning of the season when the bills started very strong it was 
Kansas City's number one. Ravens were kind of locked into people's perception of who the second team was. And it was, who's the third best team? Is it the Bills? Is it the Steelers? Is it the Titans? Now we have the Steelers looking like that they could get a bye there. And now we have the Titans who you know, had a little bit of a lull, but, but they've been coming back there. So it's, it's strange because this Bills team is really, really good. I mean, they could be, they could be almost arguably the best team in the NFC if, if you wanted to put them up against, against some of those guys. And they may be fifth here in the in the AFC. Where do you see them specifically specifically against the Ravens and the Titans because those are I'm, not, I'm sorry, yeah, the Ravens and the Titans because those are the two teams that I'm not really sure about uh, at this point where how to even think about them versus someone like the Bills. Uh, well, the Ravens um they've kind of come crashing back down to earth in in 2020 uh, compared to their lofty standards from last year, but I want to go back to last year yeah. because that game against the Bills late in the season laid the blueprint for how to defend them. Yeah. And, and the Titans came out and actually said, yeah, we watched them. We watched their tape against the bills and realized, okay, this is how you can slow them down and ended up beating them pretty handily come playoff time. And that was, you know, that was a one score game that came down to the final drive bills lost obviously, but with that offense, the bills had last season for, for them to be within one score of that Ravens team was eye-opening like that was one of the that was probably the most impressive loss of the season for Buffalo you'd like to think that with an improved offense and with a defense that's capable of playing to that standard they should be able to beat Baltimore this year uh Titans I don't think the Titans are what is it 38 or however the much 28 points better than Buffalo yeah I think yeah. <laughs> I think things kind of spiraled out of hand there <laughs> yeah but uh yeah. you know they play again it's not going to be 43 to 16 uh, which she's even saying it out loud is like, man, I cannot believe I'm watching them get pounded like this. That doesn't doesn't usually happen with the with with the Bills, you know, over the past couple seasons. But I think they still match up well enough with Tennessee. That was a matter of you know they just couldn't stop turning the ball over, and uh, you know it depends on where the game is played as well. You know, I think there's a little even without fans. I think there's kind of an aura of playing in your home stadium even come playoff time. So, uh, you know, we'll see where that game is, but uh, it's hard to beat the same team twice. It's hard to blow out the same team twice. So, you know, I'd, I'd be, I'm not ready to say, yeah, definitively, they're going to go out, they would go out and beat the Titans, but I think it would be a lot more competitive game than we saw in week five. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the defense struggled, obviously, mightily in that in that game. And that's the question, I think, for them. What do you think about this defense? Because I mentioned last week, I think it's, or the last couple of weeks, has been looking a little bit more like 2019. I mean, we have we have them struggling from most of our grades, especially in coverage versus last year. But you had some interesting numbers that you were putting out there where in yards per game, they're not necessarily looking that that hot the last few weeks. Um, but they're doing the other things. They're getting pressure. They're turning the ball over. And I mean, they're not super reliant upon turnovers, but they're, they're, they're starting to get some, where if you're not getting some, that, that makes, that makes a big difference. So what do you think that may be the key? Can this defense return to uh, adjacent to what we saw um, the last couple of years? Um, and that would be the thing that could really propel them far into the playoffs. Yeah. I think it's what 10 or 12 turnovers, 10 turnovers in the last three games. That's been, yeah. that's been critical. Um, and like you said, the, the pressure, their, their sack rate is in the top 10. Um, and that's, it's kind of been like that for over the course of the season that like their problem was never getting to the quarterback. The, the issue that I, the issues I highlighted a few weeks back was, um, you know, they were allowing 
the most wide open receivers in the league or some one of the, you know, they're allowing wide open receivers at one of the highest rates in the league and quarterbacks were getting the ball out at, at a faster rate than all, but I think two teams in the NFL, it was a cover. It was more of a coverage issue than it was a, a defensive line or in a pass rush issue, but that coverage is starting to tighten up a bit. Tredavious white is becoming that ball Hawk. Again, he's flashing that ball Hawk ability. Saw him break off of his cover three, um, his cover three responsibilities to, to bait Justin Herbert last game. That's about as pretty a pick as you're going to see. Um, they're, they're healthy. They're getting healthy at that second cornerback position. Levi Wallace, I mean, they keep bringing players to replace him, but the fact is Levi Wallace is the second best cornerback they have, bar none. So him being healthy helps a lot. Um, AJ Klein and, and Tremaine Edmonds, you know, they're kind of, they spend a lot of time, I think, struggling to get used to one another. You know, as, as much as we talk about how weird 2020 has been, we, we always seem to forget that there was no real offseason. So they're still getting used to playing alongside each other in a game setting and saying, okay, this is his weakness. This is what he's best at. This is, you know, his tendencies where I need to compensate. I think they're starting to click in that aspect and they possibly get Matt Milano back. He's one of the better coverage linebackers in the league when he's healthy, he just hasn't been healthy. So I, I think they're starting to round back into form now. They're starting to force turnovers again. They've been excellent on third down this, this you know, past three, four games. That's been critical. And, uh, you know, you, you can't look at the can't look at the yards because yards per game, like we said, 31st in the league over the last three games. But they've also played three top five offenses in the NFL and pushed two of them to garbage time yards. You know, the Chargers and, and the Seahawks picked up a ton of yards in the late in the third and the fourth quarters. That's going to skew the numbers a bit. But, uh, you know, I thought it was telling is Leslie Frazier. He is one of the more the most calm and reserved and and and. You know, I don't want to say professional, obviously he's professional, but, you know, he's not a big rah-rah guy on these press conferences. He's not definitely not the type to, to beat his chest. He came out yesterday's press conference, and the first thing he said unprompted was, that's the defense that we're used to. It was basically the translation was, put respect on our name immediately. Like, we're back. And I, I think that going forward, that's, that's so important because this is such a, a critical five-game stretch to end the season. Um, I think San Francisco is better than they look on paper. Uh, they're well coached enough that they can win any game. Uh, Pittsburgh is obviously Pittsburgh. New England's showing some signs of life. They still got Miami there at the end of the season. They need this defense to click like they were in 2018 and 19 if they want any shot at making a title run. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know, I know everything works together, but I would say this defense, I mean, there's this whole, there's been a discussion. Uh, I think we've contributed to this a lot about whether teams build, you know, back to front when they're talking about the defense. Uh, this, the Bills defense in particular, when you have Tredavious White, when you have the one of the stronger safety combinations of Poyer and Hyde, when you have linebackers who, I, I don't, I don't know if. Um, I don't know if guys like Tremaine Edmonds have have graded well for us in coverage, but they're fast, right? That they theoretically they should they should be able to to stick with guys. And Milano, they should be able to stick with guys. So how do, do you think this is a back to front defense? But yet their biggest investment has been in the draft and someone like Ed Oliver. And can they pick it up on the front end? I guess a little bit too. Even if that back end starts to play like we think they should, that they should play. I'm confident the back end can can round into form. I'm not sure I, I, if I know what we have as far as the the line and the ability to generate pressure if they need to with with four. Yeah, with with Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison um, plus Ed Oliver's first round salary, this is the most expensive defensive line in the league, 
And yeah. they're not putting up the the kind of sack flashy sack numbers that you would expect, but they are creating, like we said, they are creating enough pressure to kind of warrant that that price tag. I think where beyond the health issues that they've had this year, a lot of their problems stem from Star Lodulele opting out, uh, the one tech defensive tackle. He's kind of been uh, like a scapegoat out here, but the fact is he's so big and he takes up so much space he attracts attention of an offensive line and he opens up lanes for guys like Ed Oliver, for guys like Jerry Hughes. And without him there, I think Ed Oliver had to play a lot more one tech than he was used to, or than he's, he's accustomed to and playing out of position. That's just not, that's not what they drafted him to do. And, and he struggled a bit getting back to that three technique. You're starting to see him become a lot more disruptive, especially last game. Got a little unhinged there toward the end. Uh, Some penalty gotta, issues there. Yeah, yeah. That, the back-to-back, the personal foul and the, the encroachment or the neutral zone, you know, yeah. same thing. But uh, that, that is the kind of – those are the kind of head-scratching, you know, mental mistakes that you would like him to eliminate. But you cannot deny that the guy makes an impact when he's on. So, uh, you know, it, he hasn't been putting up the big – the sack numbers. And some people think he's maybe a, like an Aaron Donald type. Definitely not yeah. putting up those numbers, but he is making an impact on the game. Um, but they, they really do stress rush plus coverage. And, and that's what's made them so successful is, you know, if that, if that pass rush can make a quarterback or force a quarterback into a decision faster than he's used to or before he's comfortable doing so, this is a good enough secondary to make them pay. Like everybody on there, everybody in the secondary is a ball hawk, white. Hyde, Poyer, all of them are capable of making plays on the ball and, and they're smart enough to bait quarterbacks into doing so. So it, it's it's less of a front to back or back to front as it is, you know, they really do need to work in synergy. And, and as much as coach speaky as that sounds, like it, it, it's just, it's critical because, you know, if one facet is not up to par, like the secondary wasn't in the beginning of the season, then the whole thing kind of falls apart. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 unfortunate in some ways for for Ed Oliver that he does Aaron Donald thing because <laughs> I mean, you never you never want that, right? You never want to be compared no. <laughs> to him. But, but I, I remember on draft night, I, I can't read. Well, actually, I might have the ordering wrong. I think it might have been when the Lions took T.J. Hawkinson that Bean was like so excited. They had this behind that he was he was ridiculously pumped to to get Ed, Ed Oliver there. So I think he still has a lot of potential going forward. And, and yeah, um, if the back everything comes together, that's gonna they're gonna be they're gonna have a chance going forward here. So. Uh, Okay, another question here on the AFC East, because I heard a pretty provocative take by um, uh, on the Athletic Podcast with Mays and Tyson. They were both, this is removed by a week, but they were both thinking that the Dolphins may be in a better position going forward because of the draft picks, because of the salary cap, because of the fact that the Bills are going to have to re-up a bunch of guys going forward. As far as in that AFC East, who do you think is is going to be the best team or is going to have the chance to win the most division titles in the AFC East over the next, let's say, five to seven years? Do you think the Bills and the Dolphins are equals there, or are you leaning on one of those teams? Um, that's a great – it is a great question, and Bills fans are going like, to hammer me for hesitating there. But <laughs> the fact is, you know, the strength of, of the, the Dolphins' campaign here is, is all the draft picks that they have. And right. they do have a decent history, a decent recent history of, of hitting in the draft. But until I see those picks – it's 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 fairy dust it's, it's fugazi like i don't you know like matt right. mcconaughey and wolf of wall street <laughs> like i yeah. i don't believe it it doesn't exist so right now what the bills have their their foundation exists 
Tredavious White is is locked up for the next five seasons. Deion Dawkins is not that expensive of a contract either. I mean, the, the White contract is not. I was surprised actually um, that that it wasn't that it didn't seem to be. I mean, especially when you have Jalen Ramsey and other guys coming out after that. Yeah, I thought that you know I I kind of felt like he was going to wait, or I thought he was going to wait, but uh, creating general generational wealth for his family and changing the the course of his family's yeah. fortune, I know was extremely important to him. I understand, you know, it's still a lot of money. I think with oh, 17 yeah. Oh, yeah. and a half a year, it's still $70 million. The guy has changed yeah. his family's future. Like, I understand why he took it. I thought he was going to flirt with that $20 million range, and he kind of mm-hmm. did. But either way, he's locked up for the next five years. Right. Left tackle, Deion Dawkins, he's locked up for the next four years. You've got fifth-year options on Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds. you got to re-sign Matt Milano here. Macca Hyde's got two more years left. Jordan Poyer is in for the next three Stefan Diggs, it, you've got him for five years. That's what, especially, you know, when we're talking about, you know, the, the price that you pay for him, you really, would you rather have just, as good as Justin Jefferson's been? Would you really yeah. rather have Justin Jefferson for the next four years or Stefan Diggs for the next five years on a team friendly deal? Like it's, yeah. I think it's a no brainer there. So they've got a, they've got a foundation here. They've got stars already in place. When you look at the Dolphins roster, they spent a lot this season re or this off season kind of revamping that that team's image and especially on the defensive side of the ball adding byron jones adding Shaq lawson adding kyle van noy like they've got pieces they've got dudes we still don't know what to a tongo by is though like he's yeah. got a three game sample size one of which he was yanked from you know people are going to cry injury i i don't know if it was injury he wasn't related. great injured or not injured or not he wasn't playing yeah. well yeah <laughs> He was not. He's holding on the ball for too long, and he was getting himself injured. So, I mean, if he's getting pulled, it's kind of for his own safety at some point. But either way, I, I'll take what I can see rather than what I over what I can't see. And right now, I see the foundation. I see the future of the Bills right now. And I'm going with that to kind of run the AFC East over the next several years over what the Dolphins could be. Now, if the Dolphins smack on all of their draft picks, then it's going to be a really tight race to come. Like it could be the next, you know, Seahawks Niners during the the early 2010s. Uh, if if both teams pan out, like this will be an exciting race to watch year in and year out. But right now, yeah, it looks like the Bills are are better built for the next 10 years. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's some argument that the Dolphins could have a higher ceiling, like if you hit on all these other things, but. The the bills already have already have these hits. They were they already accumulated some hits. So yeah, it's it's gonna be a little more difficult to fit them under the cap. But you you probably rather be in that situation going forward. So lastly, looking at Allen versus these other young quarterbacks, I mean we're having kind of a a renaissance here with a lot of great young young quarterbacks. I, I can't decide which direction I want to go. If I want to go for like obviously guys he's better than to start off with, or or guys that that he's probably not going to be compared to. Uh, going forward, but I'm looking at all these young guys. So I'm going to start by saying, I'm just going to go through them and you tell me whether you think you'd rather have Allen, let's say for the next 10 years, than one of the, then quarterback X, whoever I, whoever I seem to, whoever I name. Okay. Right. Um, I'm going to start, well, I'll start with an easy, well, I'll start with an easy one. So, uh, Baker Mayfield, I assume you're taking Josh yeah. Allen over Baker Mayfield. Although it's kind of weird. Cause like during, during the, the off season, it probably was like, who knows? Right. Um, and that, so that's, that's probably flipped more, more than anything. Okay. So let, let's stick with 2018 here. Now, the, again, another thing that I would not even have thought about asking in the off season, I'm going to ask now is Lamar Jackson. Would you rather have Lamar Jackson or Josh Allen? That's tough. Um, that's really tough. 
And, yeah, that's uh, a, this is the toughest you one. Some, I would say. You spent like there was a point last year. I'll admit it, and I'm not going to out them because I don't want them to deal with the storm that I might get for this. But right. there was a point where another prominent Bills reporter and I spoke at practice and said, "Wow, where would this team be if Lamar Jackson was quarterback this year in 2019?" I think, yeah. and I think it's a fair question. They had an opportunity to draft him. He had an MVP caliber season. And it was a top three defense. You have to at least wonder how far that team, that how far that team could have gone. But I, I can't help but to think that I think Lamar Jackson is closer to his ceiling than Josh Allen is right now. And uh, and and they're really comparable the way that they can take over a game. Uh, Josh Allen with his arm, Lamar with his legs. But uh, that's that's tough. I think for for this offense and and we're saying, you know, we're putting both players in Buffalo. I think I would take Josh Allen. I think I would take Josh Allen because he can put up, it's, it might not be the, the flashy rushing numbers, but he can put up numbers on the ground. He can score on the ground. He's a threat in the red zone. I mean, he, you look at his, his numbers, God, if I jinx it, they're going to kill my mentions, but he, he's got like 51 touchdowns and no interceptions in the red zone because it's impossible to defend that guy. So I, 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 would, I would take Josh Allen. I would take Josh Allen. Yeah, you know, I think it's crazy it sounds because I was I was one of these guys predicting that Lamar was gonna like n- not make a leap. I mean, he was a unanimous MVP. So what, what sort of leap could it make? But I was thinking more in people's minds that he could take a leap this season. But I've I've really been disappointed there. Um, we'll we'll see what happens. But I think I'm with you. Although, like I said, if we use any of this on social media, I'm just gonna clip you in there for for, <laughs> for saying Josh Allen. Like, I'll leave I'll leave I, my part out. I'll leave I, my part. I think out, I've built that. up. I hope at least I've built up enough good <laughs> equity in uh, enough good equity in Buffalo that they gave me the benefit of the doubt here. But yeah, I just, I, I just, with his arm, we, ha- I haven't seen it from, from Lamar Jackson against prominent, against prominent opponents. I've, we saw him tear apart the dolphins last year, but can he do that against the Steelers? Can he do that against, against the chiefs? And uh, can he do that in prime time? And I just, I don't know. We're not seeing, we're not seeing the up and to the right this year. We're kind of seeing a, a stagnant Lamar Jackson, which normally, if you know, if you stagnate after an MVP season, it, it sounds kind of a, like a weird critique. But uh, I don't know. Josh Allen at his best is a you know he is a top tier player in this in this league, and uh, it, it's hard to pick guys over him. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, okay, so I assume the young guys, the rookies, Herbert or Burrow. Uh, I mean, you probably lean Allen just because you kind of know what you have there a little bit more for those guys. So the the one other guy that I could think of who's probably close because I don't think we're not getting into like Deshaun Watson territory. We're not gonna we're, yeah. we're, we're not gonna have that that discussion because <laughs> there's no I don't think there's a point. It's kind of in I don't want to I don't want to insult any Deshaun Watson by by saying that there. Um, Kyler Murray, anything? Any Kyler Murray? That one, see, that one is tough. Um, I've got this. I've got this theory, and. Uh, you know, kind of, I've checked it against a few people around the league that in your first two years as a player, two things are going to happen. You figure the league out and the league figures you out. It's, it, the order varies, but you know, Kyler was so good as a rookie that you, you can't help but think, okay, the league is going to figure him out in 2020, but he's still, he's still churning. He's still going and uh, he's still playing well especially in that offense, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to, it's hard to take Josh Allen over him. I like Josh Allen's durability. I like his size, but 
Kyler's speed, and he's almost got he's got some Russell Wilson in him, a lot of Russell Wilson in him, in the sense that he avoids contact very well, and, and he protects himself very well. So you can think that okay, while he's scampering around like Stewie from Family Guy, he's not going to get one of those bone crushing, career threatening hits. And uh, yeah, you know, so it it that one's that one's tough. I think that one's a push there. I think that one's a push there. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think a push is fair. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen yeah. that much from Murray. I mean, the one the one downside I say for Murray is he. I don't think he's put it all together passing the ball yet. I mean, he's his rushing is off the charts this year, and I think he's been good passing the ball. He shows that ability, um, but I think we've seen a little bit of that the last couple of weeks when he's had this shoulder issue and he's not running the ball. That that offense was maybe a little bit more reliant on him. Just just doing things that are just kind of crazy, like just being the, the inability for anyone to even touch him uh, when he's running yeah, 30 yeah. yards down downfield. So I'd I, I like scampers. to see him do that. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, like, it's amazing. I think, you think you can't do that at the NFL level, right? Because he used to do that in college yeah. where he'd run around someone, like the guy person went on you. You're like, you can't do that in the NFL, kid. And then he's actually doing that oh, in the NFL. It's amazing. Like, my bad. You can do that in the NFL. <laughs> I was wrong. Yeah. Sorry, officer. I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> no, they both have their they both have their flaws because um, they both have their their pros and cons. I like Josh Allen's size. Like I said, I like the the fact that I don't worry. I don't really have to worry about him if he, when he's running the ball. If, if somebody wants to try to hit them, he's basically as big as anybody on the defensive side of the ball. The only concern is can he protect, can he cover the ball up, and can he stop lower, can he, you know, learn when to when to say die. Uh, that was his big yeah. issue when he got knocked out of the game against the Patriots last year was, you know, it, it was an illegal hit, but it also was a case of he didn't really say die, and he was trying to fight for yards. It's just who he is. I mean, but it almost I, happened last also, week, right? It, it, well, yeah, that one, he, uh, there were a few circumstances where like he's being wrapped up. He's hard to bring down, but he's being yeah. wrapped up and, and trying to either find somebody or get that <laughs> ball off. And he got twisted up. And that was, uh, I mean, that's, that was a moment that nobody, no Bills fan, nobody, no football fan right. wants to see. But with Kyler, I see a lot. I, I don't see as many of the, what was that throws? You know what I mean? Like, Josh Allen, he's got an incredible oh, yeah, arm, and he yeah, hits some yeah. windows that three guys in the league, maybe, maybe three guys in the league can hit. But then there's also some throws where it's like, yo, that's triple coverage, and one of those guys is Patrick Peterson. What are you? <laughs> what? What was yeah, that? And yeah. you don't you don't see that as much from from Kyler Murray. And so, like I said, there's there's pros and cons to both. I think the push is the fair thing. Yeah, yeah, I think Kyler's a little bit more conservative with, with some of that there so th- actually you know, another name this last name i want to hit before before we wrap up i appreciate uh all the time here i didn't really even think about this before but he he's not on a second contract yet um it's just being extended forever but dak prescott i think is another name where he kind of falls into that range to make to make interesting what, what do you think about dak prescott versus josh allen mm, that's sorry a good I'm giving one. all these hard ones <laughs> that, that one's oh boy that one's that one's tough um I mean, if you want to pin it on the on on the injury, you can do that too. You could take that. You could take that route. I'll give that to you. Like it is uh, the one we did get to see them head to head, and this was mediocre. Not oh yeah, mediocre, but you know, this was last year's Josh Allen, and he outdueled Dak in his backyard on yeah. Jerry's day. So yeah, you know, I'm inclined to take Josh Allen over him, but Dak Prescott is nothing to to sleep on, and I think actually. I think I'd have to I'd have to go Dak just because of the body of work he's put together. 
He's done it for more than one season. Josh Allen is having an incredible season. And if this is the level of play that he sustains for the remainder of his career, then he is going to have a, an awesome NFL career. But we have seen quarterbacks in year three thrive and then falter. I'm looking straight at Mitch Trubisky right now. He had a good <laughs> third season, and I believe he was the betting favorite in Vegas for MVP. And now he is battling out with Nick Foles, getting beat 41 to whatever on Monday night football or Sunday night football. Like he is, he's yeah. struggling to keep his job. Then it didn't, they didn't pick up the fifth year option, I believe. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, it's, it's guaranteed now. So yeah, they couldn't, you know, it's, it's, it used to just be an injury guarantee. Now it's a full guarantee. So yeah, they passed on that. Exactly. So, I mean, it, we've, we've seen it before. I need to see it again. I need to see him do this in 2021, but, uh, because of the body of work, I, I would I would take Doc or I'd take Dak Prescott. Yeah, you know his work. Because at first I was thinking the injury might be the downside for Dak, but if anyone could look better in some ways from having the injury, it's the fact that how bad that team has looked with a supposedly one of the best backup quarterbacks in the in the NFL playing in there. So Dak's reputation. I mean, it may have been bolstered, actually, a little bit from the fact that, that he's gone down after he... I mean, he talk about someone who's carrying a team the first few weeks. <laughs> exactly. It, it's kind of like that argument back in... Um, gosh, what year was it, man? 2012? What was the, the year that the, the Colts ended up with the number one pick? And uh, when, Oh, when yeah, Peyton yeah. I think, I think it might have been... It was either 2011 or... Yeah, I think it might have been 2011. I don't, I don't remember what it was. What it was, tw- but yeah, it was yeah. I think it was a 2011 season because they got luck in the 2012 Draft, right, 2012 like draft was, after, was Wilson, Wilson, camp. Luck, and RG3. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so the, it was like the 2011 argument that Peyton Manning should arguably be the MVP because right. he's proven <laughs> to be the most valuable person, most valuable yeah. player, even yeah. with his absence, the Colts are bad. So uh, it, it's kind of, it, it looks kind of like that. It was like a really long way to, to get to my point. But uh, you know what I'm trying to say here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we, we talk about that a lot with uh with the mvp talk like this kind of like that that's one of the wilson versus mahomes things it's like what would the seahawks look without wilson versus what would the chiefs look like without mahomes and i think there's there's a point there but um you you can't but i guess what would any patrick's Patrick's gone next level now yeah what what would any team look like you know without their without their starting quarterback it's uh yeah it's like uh you know what not to keep up with, with the peyton manning references but that old you know that old story i think gruden tells that you know, he he asked Tom Moore why the Colts backup wasn't getting any any reps. And he's yeah. like, if 18 goes down, we're bleeped and we don't practice bleeped. So like, <laughs> you can make that argument for probably, you know, 28 quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, yeah. And hopefully um, nothing personally against against Matt Barkley. Hopefully we don't see we don't we don't see him uh, more more than <laughs> more than a, a couple of kneel downs or something in, in the future if he if he happens to play. Well, Marcel, thank you so much for for joining me, answering all the questions. It's uh, on Twitter at Marcel underscore uh, LJ, right? Correct. And um, anything else you want to plug uh, before going? Otherwise, everyone follow Marcel, read his stuff on on ESPN. Um, it, it's great stuff. No, man, nothing to, nothing to plug right now. I appreciate your time, man. This is a good time. Hopefully, uh, you know, this is like an olive branch between the Buffalo community and, and, and PFF. As, uh, like I said, I mean, they made sweatshirts, man. <laughs> like, that's, that's hey, well, I'm just glad we, we could just use the numbers to flip. We could just flip any direction just to tell us. So now now the numbers are good. So we, so we, so we love Josh Allen. No, no attachment, right. no, no personal attachment. So, again, thanks so much, everyone. Thanks for listening. Rate, review the pod. And I'll be coming at you again next week. Thank you.